welcome to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, Coordinator of Media. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at smith at epiok.org. going to jump right into this week's episode, y'all. This week is a clergy spotlight with Father Nate Carr from St. James, Oklahoma City. Father Nate is not only a priest, but he is also a headmaster of a school, father of six, partner of a bookstore, and a loving husband. We chat about his sort of accidental or rather serendipitous journey to finding the Episcopal Church from his Baptist upbringing, and how he feels about the bivocational priesthood. Y'all are going to love this conversation. Father Nate is full of so much energy, enthusiasm, and love for life and ministry. It was a delight to get to hear his story. I hope y'all enjoy. Here's Father Nate Carr. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah. But What's up? not much. I want to first start with a little bit about your background. Where are you from? Uh, and what's your spiritual and religious background? Yeah. Uh, and thank you, Sarah, for inviting me. This is remarkable. I love your broadcast studio here, by the way. It's really <laughs> beautiful, state of the art. So uh, I'm a, an Oklahoma... Uh, bred and born Baptist from from Oklahoma City, grew up on 17th Street. I've lived on 17th Street at three or four different houses at this point, uh, ranging from age five to uh, probably 28 was the last time I lived on 17th. Anyway, so I'm so I'm a I'm a sort of a midtown rat of Oklahoma City and very much I very sincerely and honestly loved the um, several features of my Baptist upbringing that were accessible to me, particularly those features, hint, hint, towards the future here, they really carried forward uh, something of a tradition. So uh, I had a pastor, for example, who would, every time we prayed for the needs of the church, he would say, as you're able, we're going to go ahead and kneel here together. And, And Baptists don't have kneelers. And so it was, you had to physically turn around in the pew. I remember my dad turning around in the pew and, and dropping down on that hard floor. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. I don't know why six-year-old, uh, six-year-old think that. But so, so you, you know, you combine that with really a, a profound uh, choral ministry with the choir and so on. So really, I, my, well, maybe my first spiritual crisis is overstated here. But the first question I had was when um, the entire church, 
and its worship, its very low liturgy shifted. And, and it sort of, in some odd and very roundabout way, sent me searching for what only God knew to be the Episcopal Church at that point. So um, anyway, I, that's sort of, I, I, I should probably add that somewhere in there, I, I very much was a, a Presbyterian youth pastor for a while. I, um, but maybe we can talk about that in a minute. Um, next question, please. <laughs> great, great. Thanks for that. Um, grew up in the Baptist church. That's fascinating how Baptists get to the Episcopal church. But like Father Tim Chon Newman's came from the Baptist tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I went so to OBU it happens. Where oh. his wife taught. This is how I kind of oh. knew the Oh my God. Mm -hmm. See, we're all connected in some way. Um, okay, so, so, but what was it that got you into the doors of an Episcopal church, and you, I'm sure you became a member, and then got really involved, so what oh, was that? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's a good story, so, um, I, fast forward, I am now married, my wife, Sarah, we've been married 17 years now, so that puts, that puts us... At the Presbyterian Church, so a few things happen here. I'm at the Presbyterian Church. I've just enrolled at Reformed Seminary. I mean, can you think of a better seminary for a Presbyterian Church than the Reformed Seminary? So I've made an application. I've begun my studies, or so I think. And we have a little boy who's born. He's our second born, and sweet little boy does not have a fully formed aorta. In, in fact, he barely has an aorta. And suddenly moving to seminary is not a thing. We, we need to help this little guy move through beautiful, God bless them, children's hospital and, and figure out another way to do seminary. So here's the beginning of what I do not even realize to be a, a, a shift towards um, what to this date is, has been bivocational. So then, uh, let me think, we... Um, me meanwhile, he has an older sister, Areda, uh, who is fast approaching school age. So, so um, uh, at this very moment, a couple of things happen, which is, one, we realize we are grounded and we need to kind of maintain some health benefits and not cut bait and just go do the seminary thing while this, this little boy is, is really struggling for life. And so uh, he's 13 now. He, in fact, just had open heart surgery nine weeks ago, but he's doing beautifully. Uh, to, he now has a fully formed aorta as of nine weeks ago because of some wonderful and, and caring person who, who gave their valve when their own life ended. So he has a cadaver valve. So a tremendous story and, and with God's grace all over it. But okay, back to, back to Presbyterianism. Uh, a couple things happen. Our church ends up uh, go, undergoing some some disciplinary action for, from the presbyteries has nothing to do with me and it's not even worth detailing and, and it was temporary but at that moment at that same moment i had a uh, i threw in with a school startup and you know if you guys out there in the land of podcasting don't know this about me i run a school a three campus school of classics for children i i arrived year two so i am not the founding um headmaster by any stretch but I've been with the school almost 13 years now and have have uh, kind of led that 
So the way that this all converged was I knew I needed to educate this oldest child who's fast approaching education age while taking care of a little boy and starting seminary. So I threw in with the school as a job. And while on my first, so here it is, on my first field trip at the school, I taught geometry. My undergraduate is in, um, I have a Bachelor of Science. I'm a biology undergrad before I went to seminary. So I'm teaching math and science at this school startup, this Christian school of classics for, for, stu- for children here. And so we are, I call my favorite architect friend and said, can you bring Euclidean geometry to life? Show us the blueprints of some cool structure in Oklahoma City. And he said, there aren't many. I was like, well, there's a few though. And, and he said, and then I said, what? So show us the blueprints, which is just all of the simple shapes from Euclid. And then walk us or drive us or whatever us to the building that it created, right? The, the, the blueprint for which it was created. And so they can see Euclidean geometry come to life in architecture. Well, what he did, he said, oh, I just completed a chapel, the lady chapel at this church called, called All Souls. I will walk you over there. Well, I'd never been. I, it was just the church with the red doors that you drive by, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so um, I, I, that day I met Father Patrick Bright. I happened to look down in the pews and said, oh, you guys use prayer books in the pews or some such nonsense. I clearly don't even know what I'm talking about at this moment. And he said, of course we do. And it sounds like you should start attending my church. <laughs> I, I like Some boneheaded statement ended up being the, the whole sort of bright future being ordained. But So I started sneaking over on Wednesday morning Eucharist at 7 a.m. while being a Presbyterian youth pastor. There you go. Because of a Euclidean geometry field trip for a school. There you go. That's wild. I love it. That's great. And also is so beautiful and high liturgy and ugh. How I was captivated, yeah. Yeah, how could you not be captivated? I mean, I remember when I first went to Mass at Notre Dame, I did undergrad at Notre Dame, and I was like, oh, I'm it. Like, how do I? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That did the same thing to me. I was just, it was all over. That's right. Um, so, okay. You kind of had this ministry theme going, though, in your life from from an early time. If you were trying to be youth pastor, then maybe as you evolved in your faith and your adulthood, you started thinking about priesthood. Mm-hmm. What was what was that call like? Your experience? Oh, sure. Uh, so my let me think. So my first theo- degree in theology. Well, really, my only degree in theology was an academic degree rather than a divinity degree. So that w- so when I went back for some postgraduate work uh, through this diocese at Wycliffe College, it was to sort of round out um, or begin rounding out everything that sort of left on the table had I gone more of a divinity direction. But instead I went more of the, oh, oh, oh. you know, at the time I thought I will be a, an author. I love writing. I, you know, I'm writing um, a book right now about education, for example. But So I thought, I'm going to be an academic in some way, theologically. My degree corresponded to that. I wrote the big thesis. I went and defended the thesis. So I sort of had that finish rather than the, sort of the divinity finish, which is a wonderful um, way to go. But, but um, then I was asked, at, uh, again, by this church in town, Presbyterian Church, 
they they had heard of my uh, reformed seminary application and said, we need a youth and families director. Would you come? So it was very much initiated by a church. I met with their um, elders. My, my wife and I both went and discussed and talked, and it just seemed like a really good fit, and it did not yet require of me discernment for ordination. So we were perfectly happy to leave it at sort of a directorship. And I, you know, I failed to mention this earlier. When, what, when I met with the families for the first time, so I'm being announced, like, we, you know, the new family uh, uh, director, um, youth and families directors, we, the, it was, we, we, were sudden, we were struck very much with groups of families who had maybe the clearest vision of any set of families I've ever met for a very rich, um, adventurous on the one hand. They, they would let us take these wild trips to Portland and such. But rich Christian sort of discipleship experience. And they sort of knew what they were talking about. They were they were they were willing to you know put their money where their mouth was on making it happen, and 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 as I took notes at that first meeting of all that they sort of dreamed of for their kids, which is miles ahead of where I was even probably going to begin, I thought, oh, let me these are an intense group here. It um, it occurred to me that the Book of Common Prayer, which was not a category for me yet outside of um, a book on a shelf. Like I had never seen the Book of Common Prayer in context. I'd never even been to an Episcopal church. I just knew that one, once upon a time I'd walked into a used bookstore, found a document that had all of the prayers and all of the propers and all of the catechism, um, catechetical instruction, um, walked me through a church season with my children. I mean, we just brought that thing to life, but we brought it to life at our dinner table because it was still out of context, you know, until you're deep within the liturgies is this thing. So all that to say, I, at this Presbyterian church, bought every single child a book of common prayer, and then we would use that to organize our worship together and our adventures together. When we would pull that thing out on the backside of mountains we were hiking, and say noonday prayers and totally decontextualize from the very tradition that gave us the book of common prayer. So anyway, we're oddly enough, it it that that was what connected me um, to to Father Bright that day when we sort of oddly met and yet providentially met, I suppose. So does that wait wait what question was the answering? I think I covered maybe something in there about oh and then oh the discernment to the priesthood finally. So that's how I got to the directorship. So, so uh, uh, to your own comment about Notre Dame um, and to illustrate it in my own way, that 7 a.m. Eucharist with um, Father Tom Hayfley, um, who is now with our Lord, and Father John Ryan, who is now with our Lord. They, there were these several um, retired priests who had had decades in this diocese who all had been put on this 7 a.m. track. I don't know if nobody else wants the 7 a.m. track. That's where you call all these retired pre- I don't know what it was. I absolutely fell, fell, fell in love with um, these two or three men that were leading this really early service. Again, this was a service before I needed to be at school. 
it wasn't uh, – no one knew I was sneaking away on Wednesday mornings, right, as far as my, my, my Sunday morning commitment to Presbyterianism. So there's this perfect secret life I had there at All Souls and didn't realize that I was being won over. There is something very different. So the pastorate in a Presbyterian church is very much communicated as you are a teaching elder. So the primary office, the job description on the paper is to spend many, 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 many hours. And they have every right to do this. It's just me describing it. They can do what they want. Um, Planning and crafting and caring for the best 45-minute sermon of your life every single week. And then all of the other teaching pieces that would surround that catechetically in Sunday schools, Wednesday night, Bible studies, whatever. And so I knew that if ever I were to move forward in the Presbyterian church, that's what I'm doing. So that's probably what happened is there's a paradigm shift in the Episcopal Church. And this is absolutely probably absolutely won my wife over first. And, and then I probably sort of finally wisened up to what was happening, which was the, the posture of a priest and of a deacon in the Episcopal Church, of a bishop for that matter, is pastoral care. That you, in fact, from the collar all the way down to your heart and soul, are um, sort of, you know, Paul's language, a bond slave to the world. You're, you're this, a servant to every living creature. This is our baptismal covenant, right? And so I saw that being enacted week after week, and I just thought, I, I probably thought for the first year, they're really nice. And then I realized, no, 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 no. They first think of themselves as a shepherd. And then, obviously, one of the supporting and key pieces of that would be someone who's able to teach and to remind of all that's true and all that's good and all that's beautiful. But they don't first think of themselves as teacher. I think that's what won me over. And I thought, this is now the only place I can be ordained. I can't go back. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really fitting. It makes a lot of sense to me. And one of the things that I loved about the Catholic tradition and the Episcopal tradition is, like, the emphasis isn't on the sermon. It's not about the person in the pulpit and the words you have to say. It's about the Eucharist. That's right. It's just such a different, like, diffusion of meaning. And theology is wrapped up in different elements. And to me, the the sacraments, finding meaning in the sacraments does so much more than me than saying one person's interpretation of um, maybe their tradition mm-hmm. and hearing them teach that. I don't know. It, to me, it was just more powerful. So I totally understand yeah, where, I, where I, that I, comes from. I, the power of the Eucharist. Yeah. But what, what has been the bivocational life been like for you? Or why... Why didn't you want to go into it and be a full priest? Was it wrapped up with, with your son and your family, or was it other reasons why you wanted to be bivocational? Um, it was a very complicated question for me. Um, I'm very proud to be numbered among the bivocational priests of Oklahoma. To be, to be, uh, to, I, I want to say that first. They are they are tireless um, people who have realized uh, what the Eucharistic prayer itself says. Um, 
that we are to present our, and Paul himself says, but but we're reminded of a week in the Eucharist, to your, to your point about the Eucharist, that um, we give ourselves souls and bodies to thee and to thy service in this, um, in this, this life that is sacrificed for the sake of the world. It, it's it's gift giving. That, I mean that 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 also illustrates. You know, if if the Eucharist is central, which it is, to to your point, then the the entire orientation of the world is gift. The entire orientation of the world is therefore love, and there are, there are gifts and love to be given. Period. And that is the whole orientation, not only of the church, but of the world, because the church is is but a microcosm of 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 the created order and how all of it was was intended to be this place of flourishing. But nevertheless, okay. So by, by, sorry, by vocation. Here we go. God bless the bivocationals. I'm so happy and, and proud to be numbered. I, I did not set out to be bivocational necessarily, though. So what happened was the school grew. So we, we, we've grown from 26 students on a, a single uh, campus in a rented trailer behind a church to um, over 600 students um, on three separate locations. So we were, we're now accredited as a full school district. So there's a north location, there's a more location. So uh, the f- so um, when the school grew, um, things became increasingly complicated as far as my involvement. Not only my headmaster, I'm chief fundraiser, I'm the face of the school, only too happy and proud to be all of the above. I mean, this is a vocational level, calling level thing. But uh, somewhere in there, I was finally ordained. Uh, and all of the flying back and forth to seminary and figuring it out here and taking care of this boy and my, you know, my, our other kids we're, we're a foster family. We have six children, four of whom are biological, two of whom are my wife's in foster care. She recruits and trains foster care families. And two of those little sweet peas by God's good graces, uh, found their forever home at Casa Car up on 38th street at the rodeo it was already a rodeo. That's, so that anyway, a little, little backstory there. But all you, that whole deeply interconnected mess meant that when I finally fell out the other side of ordination, like ta-da, baby priest, I now have this humongous school I'm running that must be factored into my overall ministry. And um, and it was a, within a few months that St. James Episcopal, where I now serve in South Oakland City, needed a priest. And they, they, they had just enough um, scraped together that they could, they could do a bivocational vicar. And, and, and anyway, we can talk about St. James here in a minute if we need to and would love to. But, that, to, but to kind of focus on bivocation, that's kind of how it went down. Um, uh, who knows, uh, you know, over time what the future could hold. But it is, that, that's how it kind of went down. Initially, so I'm 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 an I'm an I'm a bivocational who did not go through Iona. Um, Iona didn't even exist when I first came in its full form. Now it's this amazing program, and things are quiet. It was you know I, what was it? I think when Bishop Ed got here, there were three years of no aspirants, and then they kickstarted the program again, and I was year one of the reboot, and so we didn't there's a lot that has been developed that was maybe still in its infancy maybe anyway i, I may mis misunderstand that a little bit but yeah is that right that, 
that's about right. Is that good? Do you want to say anything else about St. James or your... So I, uh, St. James is this remarkable, uh, this beacon of lights in a community in which they've been situated some 88 years. I mean, this is one of the oldest parishes in the diocese. Uh, they've had a couple of locations. When they outgrew their first location, they, they bounced a little bit further south and have added on a couple of times since. I've been there four years as of last Friday. And um, we could do an entire episode on this glorious and grace-filled place known as St. James. Um, it is one of three or four or five churches that have now launched a full Latino-Hispanic ministry. Um, in, in addition to the, the Anglo ministry that it's been conducting for, like I said, some 88, almost 90 years now. And those two cultures and those two predispositions and those two charisms have so melded so beautifully in such an episcopal spirit you might say that i i think that the story is just beginning to be to be written on on what can be achieved and what is possible when two priests and a deacon all of whom are bivocational uh, father cuco escalera is my assisting priest He's also bivocational. And Deacon Shauna Turner, Deacon, she too, bivocational. And you wrap that up with a bilingual parish with a full service um, 50-year-old food pantry that's just been rebuilt for um, a, a community in need that's wrapped all around us. And, and Oklahoma is only getting hungrier. We are seeing an increase in needs. But anyway... There, there are all sorts of stories to be told there, obviously, but um, St. James has been a good and precious gift to our family and, and is a prize in this diocese, and, and I love them dearly. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Father Carr. Appreciate your ministry and your awesome, infectious personality. So thank you for being you. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan Newsletter at our website, epiok.org newsletter. And follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week, and peace be with you.